that can really help us to home in on the issues within our life without the body going into conflict because it's an indirect route rather than a direct route. And I'll I'll explain what I mean in a moment because one of the lyrics that actually is in there, one of the lines that are in there is, I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. Now, I haven't yet seen anybody who hasn't had an emotional response when listening to that line. Most usually kind of wail up in the eyes. Others will swallow. And when you're looking at the body language, you can actually see it. They'll swallow it down. It's It brings up an uncomfortability. It touches an essence within us. It touches an emotional response. It gives us that emotional response. And what I like to do after playing music like that is then to, to, to kind of pull some lines. So as I said, I've, I pulled the line, I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. And what I actually do afterwards is I kind of highlight that line. And then I ask, I ask in the moment, while those emotions are still rule in a person, is why did you think it was okay to hurt so another could be happy? What belief exists within us that thinks it's okay to continue to hurt just to make somebody else happy? Welcome to Spiritual Midwife, the podcast that tenderly guides you through the transformative journey of spiritual awakening and personal development towards the ultimate destination of soul sovereignty. I'm Claire Atio, a medicine woman and dedicated guide to the profound realm of soul sovereignty, and you are listening to Spiritual Midwife. Welcome back to another episode of Spiritual Midwife. In this episode, we are going to dig deep into self-love. There are several essential elements to well-being, but for me, the key to creating an effortless, healthy lifestyle starts with self-love. Only when we hold positive beliefs about ourselves, of ourselves in all areas of life, can we create a solid foundation on which to thrive and grow. When you look at the dictionary definitions of self-love, the Oxford Dictionary quotes, the feeling that your own happiness and wishes are important. And whilst that sounds really easy and a really simple concept, I'd like each and every one of you just to take a moment and to think of a situation where you put your own happiness, wishes, or dreams on hold And I can guarantee just in that second there that you were able to think of more than one occasion. And so this highlights the fact that even though the concept of self-love is really simplistic, the execution of it into reality is just a little bit more complex. 
So what we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to dig into those complexities and we're going to hopefully gain a little insight on how society is exacerbating our sense of lack with and restriction of individuality which compounds our ability to practice self-love with great ease. Plus, we're going to explore how to navigate past them. The key of this podcast is to give you some tools to go away and start using to turn this around for yourself. So I think, first of all, we need to look at the construction of our foundational base of individuality, those beliefs, values, worth, perceptions of self. They all start from the minute we're born and continue to con- they continue to keep building until we're about seven, eight. And all the experiences and the perceptions of those experiences are what becomes the bedrock of who we believe ourselves to be. Like sponges, the infant brain absorbs everything it's exposed to and interprets its meaning through the energetic frequencies that it's felt. Hence, we get the perceptions. And this can be demonstrated with babies that have difficulty sleeping. The the, the parents lovingly provide all the physical needs, but still the baby cries. Why? Because the baby feels unsafe. Often that is due because it's absorbed the energetic frequencies of anxiety, stress, worry from its parents, which is pretty normal when you're a new parent you're gonna have stress anxiety worry am i doing it right so the baby fights to stay awake innately knows that sleep equals vulnerability and that state of vulnerability is an undesirable state when it's already in a perceived unsafe environment they've picked it up energetically they've picked up the frequencies those resonant energies of worry, anxiety, and stress. It doesn't know why the parents are feeling that, and so it creates an unsafe environment. And so we it builds perceptions. And as we grow our personalities and those perceptions of how we see and feel about the world and ourselves are shaped by the mimicking of the behaviors of those around us and the experiences we are exposed to. What we see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and sense. Plus the observations of physical and energetic reactions from those we're learning from. And society exacerbates this because of the way it's structured. So few of us were allowed to explore who we were before being molded by external beliefs, values, and expectations that society sets. We can see this clearly within the education system where one shoe fits all. And there's little room in there for expression of individuality. This loss of identity creates fragmentation. And society has encouraged us to observe ourselves and our lives through that fragmentation. We can take religion for the soul, medicine for the body, psychology for the mind. These are great examples of fragmentation. Our soul, body, and mind are part of a whole, and yet through the fragmentation, we treat them separately. We're not looking 
at ourselves, we're not encouraged to look at it ourselves in a holistic way. But we're not these fragments. And we can only function cohesively and consciously when we are whole. So understanding that is easier to comprehend why different areas of our lives are challenging and or dysfunctional. So what I'd like to do is to get us looking at what our beliefs of self are. What do I hold? What do you hold? Beliefs, values, what do we hold and where do they come from? And if you're not accustomed to introspection, then it's going to feel really uncomfortable asking yourself those kind of questions, those deeper questions of who am I? What do I believe? What do I value? Where do they come from? And you have to remember that uncomfortability is going to come from the fact that we've been molded, we've been programmed to accept the fragmentation. So to be questioning it, your body is instantly going to go into resistance. Your body, your mind is going to resist those deeper questions of yourself. What I like to do and what I've used when I've been working with clients is I like to take away that pressure and I take away that pressure by using music. I find music very helpful to get us into an emotional state and then ask the questions. And and one that springs to mind that I've used fairly recently is the Everleave, Alexandra Kay's song, Everleave. And there's some fantastics. One, it's a beautiful song. If you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it. It's a really good song. But there's some really poignant questions in there. She's singing about a marriage breakup. But there's some fantastic gems in there that can really help us to home in on the issues within our life without the body going into conflict because it's an indirect route rather than a direct route. And I'll I'll explain what I mean in a moment because one of the lyrics that actually is in there, one of the lines that are in there is, I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. Now, I haven't yet seen anybody who hasn't had an emotional response when listening to that line. Most usually kind of wail up in the eyes. Others will swallow. And when you're looking at the body language, you can actually see it. They'll swallow it down. It's It brings up an uncomfortability. It touches an essence within us. It touches an emotional response. It gives us that emotional response. And what I like to do after playing music like that is then to, to, to kind of pull some lines. So as I said, I've, I pulled the line. I thought I could hurt forever if it kept you happy. And what I actually do afterwards is I kind of highlight that line. And then I ask, I ask in the moment, while those emotions are still rule in a person, is why did you think it was okay to hurt so another could be happy? What belief exists within us that thinks it's okay to continue to hurt 
just to make somebody else happy. Another great one in there, another gem of a line in there is, I can't keep pouring from a cup so empty. And again, why were you even pouring from a cup that wasn't full? And it's changing the dynamic. We're not homing in on the sorrow of the song. What we're actually doing is using the sorrow of those experiences to invoke the emotions within us to ask the deeper questions when we're in that emotional state. And it confuses the brain. So you tend to get the answers because when you when you do it as a, a coaching tool, if you just said to somebody, okay, so why do you think it's okay to, to, to be in pain? And you just, it it doesn't have the same, it doesn't instigate the same emotional rawness to be able to dig deep and pull out those answers. And so I very often use songs, I very often use the beautiful pieces of crafted creation, (laughs) because music is very emotive anyway, and I like to pull out the lyrics and I like to use those to get people to dig deep and it it does have phenomenal results so if you're finding it difficult to ask yourself about your beliefs about your values about why you believe certain aspects of yourself then find a piece of music that stirs your soul that gets you in that emotional place and space and then Dig into the lyrics and ask the bigger questions of yourself. It's very powerful. It creates a lot of change. The other thing that we want to be doing when we're doing this work is we want to learn how to reframe. So, okay, we've now dug into what our beliefs and our values are. We've realized which ones are creating self-sabotage in our lives and taking us further away from being able to offer ourselves unconditional love. But then what do we do with that? How do we work through that? And so what I'm actually going to do now is I'm just going to give you a very simple idea of what reframing is. And reframing reframing takes time. I'm not going to lie to you. Reframing takes time. What I encourage all all of you to actually do is to make a list of all your habits, your dysfunctional habits that you know are dysfunctional and list them in priority of the ones that you do on a daily occurrence and the ones that you do on an occasional. And You choose one or two, however much time or however deep it is. Only you can actually assess that. But just one or two to begin with. And I'll give you an example of how this works and how reframing works. Okay, so we've got a a self-sabotaging. We're going to use Sally. So Sally, Sally has a a self-sabotaging habit. She's she's quite submissive. And so one day Sally's partner really talks to her with attitude and Sally gets upset. She gets upset by her partner's attitude. And so she plays the peacemaker. She says nothing. She keeps quiet. She's submissive. But she then later starts replaying it in her head. And she starts getting upset. 
and she starts getting angry. And so she sits there in that anger and she starts to then remember similar events where she's felt angry. And that builds the anger. So what was a shower has now become a torrential downpour. And then because she doesn't like the way that she's feeling within that anger, she starts to blame her husband and she starts to question the relationship. And she spends hours there questioning, does he love me? Doesn't he love me? Does he respect me? Doesn't he respect me? She goes through every single little detail with a fine tooth comb of her perceptions of any given situation within that relationship. And she spends several hours there crying and she's now become completely unfocused and has lost hours of her day and copious amounts of energy and she's drained. So realizing that that is a submissive behavior, submissive habit, a disempowering habit that she has. The first reframe that she needs to do is when her husband talks to her with attitude and she gets upset, what she will instantaneously, naturally do, because it's a habit, she will play the peacemaker, but she'll feel the anger within herself. What she does in the reframe, the first part of the reframe, is she sits in that anger. But instead of adding similar events, what she actually does is she reflects on that anger and she takes responsibility for not saying anything at the time. And she takes the time to explore why she didn't say anything and what she needs to do to gain the respect that she feels she deserves. When that becomes a habit, when she's able to sit in the anger and go, okay, I disempowered myself then, I should have spoken up. When that becomes a normal habit for her, only then does she move on to the reframe two, the second aspect of the reframe. So her husband disrespects her. She will again play the peacemaker, but she will recognize instantly that she's been disrespected. And instead of getting angry, what she actually does is she then makes a mental note to discuss it later. Then, then later, she will express her displeasure at the attitude she she felt she was given, and she will clearly set her boundaries. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. The first time you start doing this, if this is one of your disempowering beliefs, setting those boundaries is really scary because it's unknown field. But I can guarantee you, if you're with a partner that truly loves you, they will 100% appreciate it. It makes life easier for them. They understand what's going on. They don't have to deal with the drama and chaos of a full-blown argument. Because when you disempower yourself, that adds up. If you remember, when we go back to 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 the dismissive behavior, she made a torrential downpour out of a a shower. And it's that explosion because we can only do that for so long. We can only hold that for so long. And then we explode. And when we explode, we're like a volcano erupting. 
and everything comes out and it becomes a blame game and you end up having a big argument and one or the other of you are going to feel completely dissatisfied because there was no coherent resolution it's a game of ping pong and then there's a winner which is not what a healthy relationship should be based on when you set those boundaries the first time it's scary you're unaccustomed to it i would actually say write it down write down what you want to say we stay away from blame what you actually do is you start the conversation it as this morning when you said x y and z i felt x y and z and i didn't appreciate feeling like that. Now, that may not have been your intention to make me feel like that, but I'm telling you from this point onwards, this is how I would like you to speak to me in that given situation. And so you're setting those very firm boundaries. Your nerves will get the better of you. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of practice. I'm not going to lie. It takes it. And that's where I say, sometimes just write it down, write it down. What we're doing is we're taking it. We don't want to be coming at the conversation from an, a, a, a place of accusation. We want to come towards the conversation from a place of these are my needs. I need to speak to you because this is how I felt. And it'll take practice. It doesn't take that long. The first two times are probably the the dodgy times, the times when you really get the jitters setting those boundaries. But after that, it becomes easier. And then when you find that you're setting boundaries and you're making your needs, you're able to vocalize your needs with clarity without being charged with negative emotion, when you're able to discuss your needs with absolute clarity. Then you move on to phase three, the third reframe within this to release all submissive behavior. So reframe number three looks like Sally gets upset because her husband's attitude is off regarding a situation. She calmly tells her husband not to speak to her in that way. And she removes herself from the situation. And in doing so, she thinks nothing more of it. She's maintained her boundaries and she has the full understanding that his attitude that morning belongs to him and has nothing to do with her. This is why it's so powerful. When we're able to do these reframes on our beliefs and values, it really shifts the dynamics in our relationships. Now, obviously, I use this example within a marriage, but this is within all relationships this works for. It changes the dynamics. It takes away the toxicity of our dysfunctional beliefs and values that cause terrible communication. And it opens up our relationships for emotional intelligence. Not only does it do that, but when we're able to do this, when we start to do this work, when we start to implement it and make these changes, we start to notice positive shifts in other areas of our life, in other areas of our self-love. We start to feel better about ourselves. And so that motivates us to eat 
more healthily, take more exercise. It's just a natural progression. Because we are empowering ourselves, we become more motivated to continue. And so we start changing every aspect naturally within our lives until we get to a point where we are offering ourselves unconditional love. And when we can offer ourselves, when we do offer ourselves unconditional love from a place of habit, we're able to give so much more to our relationships. And again, not just our intimate relationships, all of our relationships, because we set firm boundaries. We let people know how we want to be treated, what our needs are, how we like to be spoken to, what we're willing to do, what we're not willing to do. We set those boundaries very clearly. There is no confusion. There is no miscommunication. When somebody oversteps the mark, we nip it in the bud straight away. And we're able to give that unconditional love to others. So if somebody's having a bad day, if somebody's suffering because they have their own healing or they're not giving to themselves, we don't take it personally. We're not playing tug of war. We recognize instantly, ah, okay, there's a belief or a value within them where they're not able to fulfill their own needs for self-love. And so that has absolutely nothing to do with me. They may be going off on one and, and, and trying to make all this ish mine, but actually it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to them, but I can hold them. I can step back, take a breath, and I can afford them love. I can send them the energy of love. And I can hold them in a space until they bring themselves down out of that emotional state without engaging, without creating it and adding to the chaos of the moment. And so it's absolutely magical. It's a magical, magical way of really heightening our consciousness, bringing in emotional intelligence. Most importantly, bringing in that self-love so we can then anchor that within ourselves and give freely to others. So I hope this has helped. I do ask, please, can you rate me on Apple and leave a review? That would be so helpful to the ratings. And so this information gets out to more people. And I shall see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.